Well, oops. Thank you. Thank you, Kayla, for reading the word of the Lord this morning. And uh, I want to just say before I speak this morning, I'm going to be talking on, this, on the topic of self-control. And uh, self-control is an interesting topic. Uh, if you're online, uh, I invite you to uh, join in the comments section and name an area where you need a little more self-control. So that can be a fun area if you want to have fun, but it also can be a very serious area. But just jump on the comments and uh, feel free to just jump in and say, this is an area where I could use a little bit more self-control. Now, I, I'm seeing the time here this morning. I'm going to try to move at a pretty good pace here this morning. Let me just read you a little bit of uh, the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. It's a very short little st stretch in here, but uh, it reads a little bit like a Pulp Fiction novel, but uh, anyhow, this is from the Bible. Let me read it to you. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. All right, sounds good, right? And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. All right, so this is getting, uh, this is getting serious right away. But he refused with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything that he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And one day when he was he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, if you, read the, if you were reading our reading plan, the Believe reading in the Believe book this week, you would have seen this story contrasted to the story of another character whose name was Samson. And Samson was that mighty guy who got into lots of trouble and uh, he eventually ends up in a relationship with a girl named Delilah, and she says to him repeatedly, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Again, more Pulp Fiction novels? It sounds like it. Um, so it's a very interesting. When, when we're reading the story of Joseph, then you read the story of Samson. Samson, uh, he doesn't run away at this point. Uh, you would think this would be a red flag in relationship. If your, your girlfriend is saying, hey, tell me how you can be tied up and subdued. And then every time you give her an idea, he gives her three different ideas that aren't true. He says, oh, you know, tie me with uh, some fresh bowstrings and I will be weak as any other man. So she does. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines, his enemies, they're upon you. So, these, so guys rush into the room to beat him up. He rips off the things and then he, he beats them up. And then she says... Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you could be tied up and subdued. Now, you should get this after the first time, but it takes three times and he still doesn't get it. So they do bowstrings, they do new ropes. She even puts his hair in a loom because he tells her that that's what will work. And then finally, she cries a little bit more and he says, well, just cut my hair. And, uh, and that's uh, sort of the end of Samson because then he is subdued and he is taken away. Here's my first point when, it talks, when I want to talk about self-control is you should get as far away from temptation as you can. If you're taking notes, this is what, I've got three main points, but this is, this is the, the first one. Get as far away as you can from temptation. Um, there's a big difference between how Joseph and Samson 
handled a relationship with a woman that wasn't good for them. They, uh, Joseph fled from temptation, and Samson flirted with it. So that's my advice to you. Flee from temptation. It's not really original to me. It's what the Bible says repeatedly. In fact, you find it again and again. Flee from temptation. Don't flirt with temptation like Samson did. Joseph, Joseph, in the end, he ends up seeing God's dream for him fulfilled against overwhelming odds. And, uh, and great good comes out of it, not just for him, but for his whole family and for nations. God had meant some incredible things to come out of Joseph's life. Now, God had meant incredible things to come out of Samson's life as well. But at the end of Samson's life, he, even though he had this great advantage of incredible physical strength, and he was called to, uh, to bring his people back to worshiping God and, and to free them from their enemies, uh, his, his success was short-lived. And in the end, he ends up being a blind slave in bondage to his enemies. Here's the, the truth, the nugget in this. Wise people don't linger over temptation to demonstrate how strong they are. Wise people know they're weak enough to fail. They know that it's, it's very easy for them to give in to temptation. And so they stay far away from it. They don't expose themselves to tempting situations. They flee from temptation. They get as far away from temptation as they can. Wise people take self-control seriously. They stop listening to gossip. They empty out their liquor cabinet. They delete all those files off their computer. They try decaf. (laughs) They get a flip phone instead of a smartphone. They give their Xbox away. They get the patch. And they don't take an empty cart down the ice cream aisle. Wise people take, they take temptation seriously. They take sin seriously. They take self-control seriously. Uh, if, you were doing the re- if you were reading along with the rest of the church in the, the Believe reading plan, you would have saw four different verses um, where it said flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from idolatry. Flee from the evil desires of youth. Flee from the love of money. Are you flirting with any of these things? Are you, the Bible says flee. That love of money one really hit me. I never sort of saw those two verses being in the same paragraph together and realized that God's called us. In our culture, that's a big one. The love of money is an, an insidious one that can get a hold of our hearts. Are you dancing with it? Or are you keeping a healthy distance from that, that temptation to allow that to overwhelm your heart and become your heart's desire and replace God in your life or be the God in your life? I love Proverbs 6.27. I was talking about the danger of adultery. It says this, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? Pretty powerful stuff. Pretty powerful. Samson could have maybe listened to that warning. It's, a, it's just a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. You can't play with these things and not get burnt. So stay as far away from uh, temptation as possible. Part of... The, Part of what will help us in this area is getting accountability in our lives. Uh, joining others who take sin seriously, who take self-control seriously. Now, there are, lots of, there are specific groups that are made for specific situations. Uh, here in this church, we have Pure Desire Ministries, which helps men and women uh, who struggle or in the area of sexual temptation and, or sexual addiction uh, to get free of those things. 
And so those, those groups have been ongoing and, and going throughout this whole year. And it's important. Uh, it's really helpful uh, to have a group. If you think about it, even if you don't, you're, not, you're in a group, but it's not like a specifically about getting free of some sort of addiction or some sort of habit or something like that. Every group should be helping you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in a group with other Christians, your group should be helping you become more and more of a disciple of Christ. Like, think about it. If you're going to be, how can you be a disciple without discipline? I mean, it's pretty much impossible. You, that's what it means. It means, I, it means I'm, I'm going to see what the commands of Jesus are, I'm going to see what he requires of me, and then I'm going to go out to try to do those things. So I can't just do whatever I want to do. I want to do what he wants me to do. So you can't be a disciple without discipline. It's really hard to have discipline without accountability. One of the things that, again, our, North America is, tends to be more of an individualistic society, so people tend to say, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it on my own. Thank you, I'm going to do it on my own. I want to, be, I want to keep things private. I don't want, to, I want people to know my, my stuff. And I'm just going to do it on my own. But you don't get as far doing it on your own. You do much better if you're with other people who are also doing it, who are also going towards a similar goal. Maybe you're not all struggling with the same thing. Maybe your next step of discipleship isn't the same thing. But you're all going towards following Jesus. You're all going in the same direction. You really get a lot of help. So, so it's hard to be a disciple without discipline. And it's hard to be disciplined without accountability. And it's hard to have accountability unless you're in a group. Unless you're with other people. Unless you're sharing how you're struggling or sharing what you hope to uh, grow in. And then those people support you and they help you and they check in on you. And uh, we'll talk more about this in August because I think it's, it's a really big key for us in the fall as a church as we uh, launch into new things for the fall is that I think it's really important for everyone who's a disciple to be taking the next step of discipleship. And we're going to give you guys some tools and helps to help you assess that in your life, to listen for the Holy Spirit's voice into what is your next step of discipleship and then support you, getting into groups that will support you so that you can uh, achieve uh, the the things that God wants to do in your life, so you can experience those things. Here's a verse from Galatians 6.1. I think it's, it's really great. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, or you could say if someone's trapped in sin, or they really struggle with self-control, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So, Somebody's struggling. They say, I, I can't seem to kick this habit. I'm, I'm really struggling in this area. I can't seem to um, enter into the things that I know God has for me or wants for me. Well, the secret sauce is other people who come around you and gently restore in your life the things that are meant to be there and help you eliminate from your life the things that aren't supposed to be there. All right, so that's the first one. Get as far away from temptation as possible. And here's the second one. Get as close as you can to God. Get as close as possible as you can to God. James 4 and Galatians 5, I'd like to just read the whole passages, but I'm going to give them just a couple verses out of them. They're great bonus reading. If you want to read about self-control, James chapter 4 is really great. Galatians chapter 5 is really great. Let me give you a couple verses from them that, I, that relate to this. James 4, verse 7, and then the beginning of verse 8. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So let me just walk through this a little bit. Submit yourself there to God, then to God. 
this is talking about aligning yourself as closely as you possibly can to God. So, it's, I mean, it's one thing to, to run away from temptation. It's one thing to stay clear of the, the, the areas where you're most likely to fall again or, or where you, you're really going to not be able to have a lot of self-control if you just linger in that area. That's great. But the other thing is this, it's not just to stay away from things that are uh, bad and they're going to be bad for us and, and try to avoid those things. Get close to God. If you're already on the run from temptation, if you're saying, I'm running away from this, well, run to God. Run to God. Get as close to Him as you possibly can. And, um, and align yourself as closely as you can. If you say, God says this is good, then I'm saying this is good. God said this is bad, I'm saying this is bad. God says this is what He wants for my life, then I want that for my life. And we, a lot of this is we do through um, confession. Confession and repentance. When we recognize, hey, there's stuff in my life, I know it doesn't align with God. We come to God and we say, I'm agreeing with you, God. I'm agreeing with what you say about this. If you say this is bad, I'm agreeing. It's bad. And I'm confessing, I've been doing this, or I am doing this, or just did this, or whatever. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you can be totally forgiven of those things. You can to- be totally forgiven of those things. Get as close as you can to God. My son and I, uh, he's seven, we've been going through the books of First and Second Kings while we've been working through the whole Old Testament together. And it's just story after story of people coming close to God, things get better. Getting far from God, things get worse. <laughs> close, far, far. And it's just back and forth. You think, do these people ever learn? And I, then I think, well, do I ever learn? Sometimes I you know, have to recognize I'm just like those children of Israel who just kept bopping back and forth between close to God, far from God. It's sort of like Grover on Sesame Street. Near, far, near, far. Get it near. Draw near to God. There's an interesting thing in there. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. We've been talking about fleeing. Flee from temptation. Well, you know what? If you get close to God, if you draw near to him, if you get as closely aligned as you possibly can to him, there's, a, there's protection in that for your life. There's protection in that. And so then you can resist the enemy. And guess what? He's the one running now. He's the one running. Because of your alignment to God. When we do our set free retreats here at Hillcrest, and we usually do them November and March, twice a year. When we do them, we keep talking about how the enemy wants to get sin as a wedge between you and God. He wants, to, he wants to pull you away from God. He wants to get you distant from God. But as you draw near to God, as you deal with that sin, you repent of it, you turn from it, and, and you start coming closer and closer to God, suddenly the enemy's like, he's losing his access. In fact, we do a whole spiritual inventory there where we just walk people through and we just say, we don't want the enemy to have any access into our lives. Why give him a foothold? Why give him any, why give him an inch? He's like dandelions. Give him an inch, he'll take a whole yard, right? Why give him anything? Get as close to God as you can. And you'll experience the, the blessing of that, and you'll experience victory in the area of self-control. You will, because, uh, because you're going to be aligned with him, and you're going to experience what, what he can do in your life. So we teach people to confess sin, repent, to pray for others for deliverance, um, to get rid of any access point of the enemy, right? To take apart strongholds in their lives. We teach those things because we just believe God wants us to live in the freedom that he's made for us. Now, you might say, I can't come near to God. I, I struggle to do that. I think I'm, I'm, I'm too bad. 
or I, I just feel so guilty and ashamed in God's presence. Here's the thing. When you come near to God, he comes near to you. If you know the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son who's coming home after he's just blown it, he's wasted half of his dad's money and on parties and prostitutes, says the Bible, and he's coming home and he's thinking about how he can be, how could God ever have me back? He can't ever have me back as a son, maybe only as a servant, but he's walking home and his dad sees him and as he takes walking steps towards his dad, his dad takes running steps towards him. That's what it's like when you come to God. That's when it comes when you, when you draw near to God, you say, oh, I'm, I'm a little nervous about coming close to God because he's holy and just and I'm sinful and, and I've done these wrong things. I want to tell you, when you come near to God, he loves you so much, he will run to you. You might only take a couple shuffling, guilt-laden steps towards him, but he'll run to you and he'll wrap you up in arms of grace. So draw near to God. Get as close to God as you possibly can. Galatians 5, again, great chapter on, on self-control, but it says uh, in 5.16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're in step with God, it's going to be a lot easier to say no to temptation. Here's the third one, and the biggest one I want to talk about today. Get as far away from temptation as possible. Get as close to God as you possibly can. And then renew your mind. Renew your mind. Well, I'm... Or enter the process so that your mind can re be renewed. Let me read you Romans 12, 1 to 3. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So one of the big things, uh, um, one of the big things that keeps us in bad habits, or keeps us in addictions, or keeps us in in behaviors that keep are negative in our lives, is what's going on in our mind. You know, when um, Jesus uh, was on the earth, he came and he just told people to repent. Repent. What does repent mean? Repent means uh, to turn around, but it's not just a turn around. There's several aspects to it. It means to think differently. It means to have a change of mind. So it starts with believing better before you behave better. The renewing of your mind is absolutely crucial for you to begin to uh, experience a change in your behavior. Because your behavior is, is, first of all, dictated by what you believe. All this year we've been going through what do Christians believe? What do they do? What are they becoming? Right? Intentionally. Because it's what you believe. It's what you really believe that's dictating what you're doing. And so you need your mind renewed. You need your mind, you need, you need your thought patterns changed. If there's thoughts that are, uh, that are against Christ, they're against uh, God, they're against even you in, in, in alignment with God, those things have to be a challenge. Those things have to be adjusted. Lies have to be uh, confronted. Truth has to replace it. We need our minds renewed. We need our minds renewed. And that's what repentance entails. Before you be, behave better, you've got to believe better. So, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to transform your, character, your, your, your behavior? You need to have your mind 
renewed. I love how it says, and then, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have you found that? Have you found that his will is good? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know if God's will is good for me. You need your mind renewed. Have, have I found that it's pleasing? Have I found that it's perfect? And then it goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. That approve word stuck out at me, and I don't know if I, I, I didn't do a real deep dive on it, so I, I'm a little hesitant to say what I'm about to say, but I just, this thought came to my mind. So that's all it is, just a thought that came to my mind. I said, do I approve of God's will? Not that he needs my approval. He's not, it's not like he needs my approval, but do I approve of it? Do I approve of God's will? Or am I still thinking his will for me is, a big, is going to be a big killjoy? Do I think if, I, if, if God has his way with my life, it's going to be the worst possible outcome? It's what you believe that's dictating what you do. Think about, I'm going to give you two examples. One is Eve in the garden, the, the, sort of that original story that's been played out by all of us again and again. We've all repeated this story, right? It's like God says, I give you everything. You can have everything. I only have one restriction. One restriction in your whole life. And here's the one restriction. Don't eat from one tree. All the trees of the garden you can have for food. But don't eat from this one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil. Don't eat from that. Wow. Incredible freedom. Only one restriction. None of us live in that now. Have you caught on? There's a lot of restrictions in our lives. Maybe more in this season than ever before. They had one and only one restriction. Wow, it's an incredible thing. And, and it's like, if you eat from this, death is going to come into your life. Death is going to come into the world. Spiritual death, physical death, separation from God, separation, you know, all these things are going to happen. And so God makes it clear, just do that. But here comes, you know, there's the whole scene with the serpent and Eve and all that thing. But did God really say, oh man, if you eat this, you'll be like God. It's going to be great. And so here's the thing. What does Eve believe? She sees it and it says that she sees the fruit, that it looks good. It's, it looks like it's good. It looks delicious. It's pleasing to the eye. And also, what did, oh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be like God. I'll, I'll know good and evil. I'll know what those things are. Well, that sounds exciting, knowing about evil. I don't know what that's like, but it sounds awesome. And so because she believes the greater joy is found in eating the fruit, she acts. Now she's wrong. It's not the greater joy. It's the cause of incredible devastation. But she, it's what she believes. It's what she came to believe. You know, Jesus, when he was coming towards the cross, it says that he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Do you know... What was right in front of him was torment and pain. The guilt of the world, the shame of our sin laid upon him. All that was in front of him. He saw something that was truly terrible, but saw beyond it to something much better. The joy that was set before him was obviously obedience to the Father, but also our, us being brought into relationship with him. So here's Eve. She looks at the good thing right now and doesn't see the great consequence beyond it. And here's Jesus. He sees the terrible thing right now, which that's how we often feel with self-discipline, don't we? But he sees the greater thing beyond it. 
So we need our minds renewed so that we can see like that. We don't want to see like Eve. We want to see like Jesus. Because both Jesus and Eve made a choice based on what would bring greater joy. Eve believed that this would bring her greater joy. And she was, but she was wrong. It wasn't based on truth. And Jesus believed this would bring greater joy, and he was right. And it did bring greater joy. It's brought joy into the lives of, of billions. So we need our minds renewed in, in many areas. We need it renewed in the area of the grace of God. Titus 2, 11 to 14, I'm going to read this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So everyone, if you, this includes you. If you're listening to me today and you say, I can't ever be reconciled to God. I can't ever be right with God, draw near to God and have that close relationship with him. Yes, you can. And he made it possible. He graciously made it possible for you and me. The grace of God that has appeared and offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God has appeared. And it teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no and to live self-controlled lives. Wow, what is the grace of God like? What is it like for people who struggle? I was reading this week about George Gallup Jr. You know, Gallup Polls. Is that a familiar thing? The polling organization. They've been there for decades and decades. And, and George Jr., following George Sr., um, told this story. He said that... Um, even though he's a Christian, maybe you didn't know that about the Gallup family, but many of them are Christians. Even though he's a Christian, he uh, got drinking at, young, at a younger age, and then he, he became an alcoholic. And so he, he struggled with alcoholism as a Christian. So he's still drinking and trying to serve God and you know, feeling conflicted and feeling discouraged and trying and, and not getting anywhere. And he wasn't, he wasn't able to defeat, defeat this thing in his life. So, I mean, he's leading at a high level. Everybody in the world is listening to their surveys and their, their polling, and, and, and he's leading this massive company, and yet he's got this thing that he just can't beat. And so the story goes that he tried free, to get free for years, and he couldn't, and then in a moment of quiet desperation, he heard God speak to him. This is what George Gallup said. God said to him, George, if you never lick this, that is okay. I died for this struggle in your life, and I still love you deeply. That's what he said was the gist of the message that he got from God. God just dropped that into his heart. And he said, from that moment on, I haven't had a drink. From that moment on, I haven't had a drink. It's been over 30 years. It's when he yielded to the, this, the, the grace of God is so powerful in our lives. It's funny because we think, it's, we think that probably the best thing you could have for somebody who's misbehaving is to have the great big threat of God's judgment over your lives. Well, God's judgment, judgment is a real thing. But ju the judgment of God is removed from our lives based on what Jesus has done for us, right? Not based on our good behavior day by day. It's, it's 
It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And that grace is now extended to us in our lives. Incredible grace. God loved us while we were still sinners. That's grace. God doesn't love you because you earned it. In fact, you can't earn his love. It's a gift. You can't earn his forgiveness for your sin. It's a gift. There's nobody going to ever stand up someday and go, boy, look what I did. I got myself right with God. No, no. It's a gift. Didn't earn it. Didn't deserve it. Gratitude's the only response that fits it. Thank you. I got what I didn't deserve. I'm so glad. We need to have our minds renewed in the area of the grace of God. We need to yield to his love, his grace, and his presence in our lives. And that is a powerful force that leads us into freedom from these struggles and, and in, in the area of addiction. And you might not have experience just like George Gallup, but when you know that he loves you and he's for you uh, and that he's, uh, he's, he's forgiven you, even when you struggle, even when you're still struggling, it's a powerful thing in your life because love doesn't usually look like that in this world. Love looks like earning it. Acceptance looks like being good enough, but not with God. It's grace. We also need our minds renewed, not just in the area of the grace of God, but the power of God. 2 Peter 1, 3-11 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who calls us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He's given us His great and very precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. So His divine power... It's the first thing it talks about. And he's, he's given us his, his divine power. But how, and then he goes on through. Through what? Through our knowledge of him. I, I think this is very interesting. Through, the, through knowing God, through getting closer to him, to drawing near to him, to getting close as we can to him, I think you're going to experience more and more of the power of God in your life. Through our knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and goodness. So what did we learn in our knowledge of him? That he's glorious. That he's good. He's got incredible things in store for us. And then it says, through these he's given us his very great and precious promises. Hmm. His very great and precious promises. You know what? I think this is a key. Um, The battle of self-control is really a battle for happiness. It's a battle for joy. And we do what we believe will bring us joy. We do that. Do you know what? I was reading this week how LeBron James, you know who LeBron James is? It's, you know, the Michael Jordan of this era, maybe. You know, everybody's debating who's better, Jordan or or LeBron James. And depending on your age, that's probably who you think is the better. Um, Basically, he, he is the, you know, most famous current basketball player that's still playing. And uh, I read this week he spends $1.5 million every year on training. On training. I mean, I was reading about his, what his, the things he does for training, and I don't even know what these things are. He, uh, or, or all of these things are. It says uh, $1.5 million annually in off-season measures that include cryotherapy, hyperbaric chambers, Normatech leg boots? I don't even know what these things are. $1.5 million every year. Why? 
Why would you go? And this is all about self-control. And this is all about keeping your body in the right shape so he can play at the highest level. Why? Does he just love? And, and he's, he's, he's running and he's doing all these things in off-season and stuff like that. He's like, seriously, does he just love self-discipline? I don't think so. I think he loves what self-discipline can, can bring. Money, championships, fame. So he's disciplining himself now for a joy that's farther down the road. And he's investing $1.5 million in that to make sure he's ready so he can get even a greater reward. You know what? The Apostle Paul talked about this. In 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. LeBron James is perfectly described there. He is disciplining himself as an athlete to get a prize that will not last forever. We, followers of Jesus, are disciplining ourselves for a prize that will last forever. And so how much more should we embrace Self-control in our lives. How much more should we embrace the Spirit's control in our lives? How much more should we embrace uh, the grace of God in our lives? Embrace the power of God in our lives? And really, the promise of God in our lives. You know, when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he keeps referring again and again to uh, the reward you get. This is funny because people say, well, I'm just serving God because it's the right thing to do. But Jesus kept using reward as a, in the Sermon on the Mount, he keeps talking about it. He says, you know, um, blessed are you when you're persecuted and people treat you badly and all that stuff. And then he goes, on, he goes, great is your reward in heaven. And we gloss over that, right? Because it's like, what's that about? And then he says, love your enemies. If you just love the people who already love you, what, you won't get a reward from that. Then he says, um, when you pray, Go, into the, go pray in secret, and your Father will reward you. If you pray in public just for everyone to see you, you will already have got a different reward, but not the reward the Father can give. Same if you fast. Do it secretly. Your Father will reward you. Same when you give. Don't make a big show about giving. Do it secretly. Your Father will reward you. Reward, reward, reward. It's like, I never saw it so clearly recently. And then I'm reading in Hebrews, and let me read you some verses about this. It says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How about Moses? By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. I was reading this and reading this and reading this, and I thought, LeBron James is disciplining himself to get a reward. 
Eve took the fruit because she thought it, it, it was a greater reward. Human beings, we make these decisions based on what we think will bring us happiness. And that's why we need our minds renewed. We need our minds renewed so that we will trade in shabby promises for greater and more precious promises. We'll trade in the promises of, if you do this, there'll be some fleeting pleasure in it. It'll make you happy for a moment. Just click on one more YouTube video and you'll get another little jolt of dopamine and live like a rat in a cage. But when, with your mind renewed, what, you, what God is wanting to do is He's wanting to expand our vision. He's wanting to give us great and precious promises so that we see that the greatest joy that we can possibly have is in God. And that when we do these things that are disciplined, that are self-control, that it's not just that I'm doing the right thing. It's that no, that is the path to the greatest joy. And until your mind is renewed, and you see that that's the path to the greatest joy, you'll lack power in self-control. And so, the path towards greater faith in these areas is the mind being renewed. And you know what? Nothing better to renew the mind in these areas than the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so if you want to live in discipline, you want to experience the greater reward, first you, you have to see it as the greater reward. You know, just this week, I'll end with this. Just this week, I was uh, uh, taking, uh, I'm going to take a 10-week course while I'm on my, I'm taking a, a bit of a break, you know that. I'm taking a 10-week 10, 10 course, and every Wednesday night, it's on disciple-making movements. So uh, the president of Essendon College is hosting this thing. I'm online with it. And it's just simply we're coming together. We're looking at Scripture and just saying, what does this mean? And what is, how, do we, how do we obey this this week? You know, it's just a simple thing that we're doing together. And this week we were just looking at a few Scriptures. And we're looking at it and just pouring it over and talking about it. And then how do we apply this in our lives and how do we obey this? And you know what I noticed? My faith increased. My faith increased. My sense of God's goodness increased. My sense of God's glory increased. My sense of God's being at work in the world increased. The fact that God is already speaking to people that I would hope to speak to and, and interact with, and he's already working in them, and he's going to teach them, and that the weight of what we do is on him. And all, all these things began to rise in me from just looking at the Word of God. And my mind was being renewed. I just realized, oh yeah, I just I feel like the weight's all on me. And I read the scripture and realized, oh man, the weight's on God. I feel like maybe God's only doing so much in these days. And then I see this and I go, God is doing immeasurably more than I can imagine. When your mind is renewed, as your mind is being renewed, it's not an end game. You don't you know, I'll have my mind renewed by the end of the week. No, it's that process of renewing our mind that comes back and suddenly you're like, this thing that was a drudgery, I do it because I have to, has become exciting. 
has become easier because I've traded in false promises for true promises, greater and more precious promises of what God wants for us. Would you stand with me? So what I wanted to do this morning was just to paint such an incredible picture of the glory and goodness of God. Didn't quite get to all of that. But I don't want to take away the incentive. I'm not trying to do that. But I don't want to take away what the reality of where you need to go with this. And that is that the word of God is the renewal of the mind. And as the mind is renewed, the behavior changes. You believe better. You believe truer. You trade in bad promises, poor promises for great promises. It gets easier. And it gets happier. Truly happier. I had a young man say this week, I've just been living for pleasure and I found it dissatisfying. Time to trade up. It's time to trade up. Time to trade up. Trade up the old, failed promises of this world for much better promises. Let me pray with you. Lord, would you lead us in this? Would you lead us in this? Would you lead us in this? Lord, I thank you that even as we draw near to you, if we stumble or we shuffle or we, we don't even know how to come to you in these areas, but even as we take those shuffling steps, I believe that what your word says is true, that you will draw near to us. We won't even have to take the whole journey to you. You will take the journey to us. That's so undeserved. That's grace beyond grace. You don't make us do it all. But when we take that one step towards you, you run. So Lord, we thank you that uh, we aren't doing this on our own. Your power is available. Your promises are true. You're the rewarder of the things that are done in secret. You're the one who will give us greater joy than we can ever have in these lesser things. So Lord, I pray for each one who, especially in, if they've identified already, they say, this is my area, this is my area where somehow I just haven't got the traction. Lord, you know the key to unlocking that for them. Maybe they need to know about the grace of God for them. They need to know that they're still loved in, in their struggle. They're not loved once they get out of the struggle. You love us and then you lead us. You loved us before we responded to you. You loved us when we were in opposition to you. So Lord, I pray that some of them just need to say in the quietness of her heart, God, I'm coming close. I'm coming close. 
I'm not going to allow the shame or the guilt to keep me away from you. I'm coming close in, in confession and repentance right now. God, I, w- I haven't been where I'm meant to be, but I'll, I'm receiving your grace right now. I'm receiving your forgiveness. I'm coming close. And Lord, I want you to do a work in me. I want you to change me from the inside out. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I don't want to conform to the pattern of this world of just trying to get another hit in something that just fails to deliver. I want the everlasting joy that's in you. I want that, the, the joy of walking with you closely now and, the, the, and knowing confidently that my eternity is settled and I'm with you for, for good. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to run. To run from sin, run close to you, and then run this race. Incredible race that you've got for us. Run so that we so as to get the prize. I pray that the, the promise of the greater reward beyond even the self-control of the moment would compel us forward. In your name. Amen.